you will, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in verse 43. Again, the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading in verse 43 through the end of the chapter. I mentioned uh, last week as we looked at uh, what uh, Jesus means when He speaks of the issue of not judging uh, one another. And I said that the culture loves to pick up that concept and twist it that when we would say something to them in regards to sin, they say back to us, don't judge me. And one of the replies to that historically has been, I'm not judging you and God hasn't called me to be a judge, but He has called me to be a fruit inspector. We might add to that that God has called us in the church to be a building inspector. As Jesus brings this sermon to its conclusion, and like we've mentioned, we're dealing with the account from Luke, not the longer account found in Matthew, but both of them bring their accounts of the Sermon on the Mount to an end with the illustration regarding a wise builder. And so Jesus speaks to us about what it means to follow Him, what it means to be converted, what it is that we, how it is that we're to think about our lives. And these two illustrations drive home to us and, and for us the reality of the, the necessity of a dynamic radical reorientation that must take place through the work of God, namely the new birth, in our conversion. That this is not simply some checklist that if we can do them, we're going to get into heaven. It's impossible for us to meet the demands of our Lord Jesus Christ as outlined even in this one sermon. And so we are reminded that if we are to produce good fruit, we must become good trees. And that is only a result of the work of God in our life. So let's look at this business of fruit and foundations. For no good tree bears bad fruit, Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Pray with me. 
Father, we thank you for your word to us. While we have acknowledged the difficulty in even understanding, much less obeying that which you say to us, Lord, uh, I believe that your way is ultimately clear to us. And so I pray that you would make clear to us how we are to understand your truth. May your spirit apply these things to our lives for the sake of your name and for our own good. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to this, and Jesus wants to drive home what he has been saying in what was ultimately a, a, a lengthy uh, sermon about the arrival of the kingdom of God and its king in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And ultimately he speaks of a radical lifestyle, a worldview that, that turns everything inside out and upside down. And to be sure, while he preaches to us his commands, that is the, the law of God, we've talked about how we're to understand that, and the point of that is to drive us to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as he concludes here, and as we conclude with this sermon, he wants us to understand how that which he commands is to work its way into our lives. How is it that we would look at the world so differently? How is it that we would act? How is it that our convictions could be so different from the surrounding culture? And so, first of all, we, we speak to the, to the issue of a, of a tree and its fruit. And he says this, that no good tree bears bad fruit. And then he contrasts it with a bad tree, that it is impossible for that bad tree uh, to bear good fruit. Now, again, he wants us to understand he's making a comparison between a fruit tree and the life of those who would identify with him, who would, who would follow him as their Lord. And so the good person, let's, let's be sure that we're clear, we're not talking about a person who decides that I'm going to be better. I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. The good person is the person who comes to have a saving relationship, a saving knowledge with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, they are born again. That, that the corruption of our souls is, is reversed and we, we have a, a new heart in Christ Jesus. And that makes it possible for us to produce good fruit. Now, in any illustration, at some level, they can, they can break down if you just keep pressing on them and pressing on them and pressing on them. But I would say this, um, that, that a good tree can have a bad season. Now, most of you are aware one of my favorite things is good, fresh peaches. Uh, I, I, I kill for them. Okay, And so, um, what I have learned about peaches is this, that those trees require a certain amount of time below freezing. And if they don't get that, then the fruit is not very good. And so there are external factors that may affect the fruit of a good tree. And so, yes, indeed, it is possible for a believer to have a bad season. But ultimately what? A believer is by definition what? A good tree. 
And it's therefore because of the miraculous, the supernatural, the irresistible, the overcoming work of grace in their life, they're going to produce fruit, okay? And, and you can take this, and I've said it many times, one of our general marching orders as believers, if you, you know, uh, I understand in the army there's kind of a, a basic list, this is the top ten things that you're going to have to do, kind of, I think, you know, again, basic marching orders. Well, one of the basic things comes to us from the Apostle Paul, examining yourself daily to see if you're of the faith. That's just, that's just basic. God, two ways. God, does my life look like it's producing good fruit? And then kind of a corollary to that, God, am I even a good tree? Okay? Have I been born again? Well, what's the evidence you've been born again? Fruit. Fruit. Now, as Luther said, sometimes you really got to look hard. All you may find on, on a particular vine is a really shriveled up little grape. Sometimes you have to use your microscope out to find that fruit. But let me tell you this. A Christian will unfailingly produce evidence. A Christian will unfailingly produce evidence. And so again, kind of the admonition for this, do you see fruit in your life? Because the good tree, because it's a good tree, because it's the nature of the way trees work, it's part of the design. Just as God designed trees to produce fruit, God saved us by design to do what? Produce fruit. Okay? And so, we are, we can, we can look at our lives, and, and as, as uncomfortable as it makes all of us in, in kind of the modern culture, Indeed, there is a certain responsibility that flows to each and every church member to examine one another's fruitfulness. I know you don't like to be criticized, and I certainly don't like to be criticized. But sometimes we need to hear, you're having a bad season. The fruit seems a little sour today. We have that responsibility to each other as the church. And so, again, we're not called to judge, but we do have to look at our own fruit and as a matter of accountability with each other and before God, look at one another's fruit. And so Jesus keeps pressing on this and just says basically that, that the agriculture or the, the, the tree produces according to its kind that, that, that you know it's a peach tree and I'm not real good about trees sometimes when I'm out in the woods you know beyond a pine tree and maybe a magnolia tree it's a tree okay I, I, I'm not real good on it's a, it's a this or a that or the other but let me tell you something if I pull a peach off of a tree and I take a big old bite and you know get that juice running down my face gets my shirt stains my shirt you know that little pinky reddy color you know I know it's a peach tree I know it's a good tree okay and so you don't get figs from the briars, and you don't get grapes from the bramble bushes, okay? It just It's impossible. And so it's impossible, unless you're a good tree, to produce good fruit. And so, Jesus explains it. He wants us to be sure we're, that, hey, I'm, I'm just not giving you a lesson about agriculture. Verse 45, the good person... Now, and, you know, always be careful because, you know, the Apostle Paul, there's no one good, not one. Okay, I, we understand that. 
hear Jesus, the converted person, okay, the converted person, because his heart has been transformed. Now, I don't know how many love songs have been written and poems have been written about the heart. Uh, we talk a lot about the heart in the culture. Uh, I pulled out my old King James Strong's Concordance the other day, and each page is three columns. And this is a big old book about yay big. And I think there were about four or five pages of references found in the Bible to the word heart. Okay? The Bible speaks a lot about the heart. Now, in, in our culture, we, we tend to just think of the heart as how I feel. Okay? My heart is so full. And folks, believe it or not, I really like to feel good, and I like for you to feel good. I, I, you know, my goal for 17 years is not to see how, how sad or miserable I can make you each and every week. I, I want you to know joy. So I'm not saying that emotions are not a part of it. But really, a, a, a more robust biblical view would understand that, that, that the heart goes beyond just the emotions. It has to do with the will and the intellect. And, and that, that it is true. That, that Jesus Christ resides in our heart. But if he resides in our heart, what does he do? He rules and reigns in our heart. Because what? He's the Lord. That's what a Lord does when he establishes his residence within the heart. Okay? And so we become that good person with a good heart, with good treasure, producing good fruit, when that heart, Genesis 6-5, which was originally set only on evil, that heart, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, that is a heart of stone, gets reworked, remade, made into a heart of flesh by the work of God, having heard the gospel, having been regenerated by the very Spirit of God, we become no longer bramble and thorn bushes, we become a good tree. And God is what? determined beforehand that we would produce good fruit. Produce good fruit. And so Jesus says to us, and, and, and he really, he says it loudly, examine your fruit. Examine your fruit. That, that, that you would see the evidence of this dramatically powerful work that takes that which is by definition a bad tree. You were born a bad tree. Y'all know that? Did any of you play trees in your elementary school play? Any, any, any tree? Any, any, no, tree? No trees. Okay. Well, you were a bad tree. And through the new birth, what do you become? You become a good, fruitful tree. You become a person who has a heart that has a treasure that has the capacity to produce fruit. You have the capacity to do that which God ordained for you to do. You have a reality of the work of the Spirit that wills and works in you according to God's good pleasure. And so that's, what, that's what's happening. You, 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 you can't look over here, and in my Bible, the, the Beatitudes and the woes and the, the love your enemies, it's on another page. You can't look over on this page and go, okay, I love poor people. I love hungry people. Uh, okay. Nobody likes me very much. I don't have any money. Well, I must, okay, I've checked all those. I'm, I must really be good. I must really be good. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. In fact, 
I've often referred to the account of the rich young ruler when Jesus pointed him to the law. All these I've kept since my youth. Let me tell you, when I look, whether it's I go back to Exodus or the Ten Commandments, or I look at what Jesus commands and demands in the Sermon on the Mount, none of these have I kept from my youth. Not one single one have I ever perfected. You know what that means? I'm a bad tree, and I'm in terrible need of a tree surgeon to make me a good tree. And there's only one tree surgeon, and his name is Jesus Christ. That can change me so that I have the possibility and, and, and really, ultimately, the, 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 the certainty of being fruitful. Of, of bearing witness that something dramatic has happened deep inside of me. So Jesus goes on and simply says this, that an evil person acts in a way consistent with his own evil heart, and we always speak out of the abundance of our intellect, our will, and our emotions. We always speak in a way that's consistent with our heart. Okay? So, how many times have you heard me say, if your words are vicious and vile and abusive, and that's, that's, that's the norm of your life, well, don't say, but you know, I have a good heart. I mean so well. I really have a good... No, you don't. No, you don't. You've got a vicious, vile, cruel, abusive heart. And you need to come to Jesus with it. You need to come to Jesus with it. And so, it, it is... It is an abundant, and I believe a gracious reality that, that, that our lives, with a, with a great megaphone, declare one reality or the other. You're a good tree, or you're a bad tree. It, 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 should, it really should be just the way, the nature of the way things are. You're either one or the other. So, Jesus simply says it is it's simply a reality. What, what I'm calling you to do is impossible in and of yourself. There must be one, something that changes you from one kind to another kind. From a bad tree to a good tree. And so, fruit and tree. Well, let's, let's go, let's press forward and talk about foundations and buildings. And as a, it seems to link these two illustrations, verse 46, Jesus asked the question, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Maybe the greatest question ever asked. I've heard, I haven't had an opportunity to listen to these things, but I've heard... Rick Burgess alludes to a Bible study, and one of the, the topics is the unsaved Christian. You know, when Rick spoke for us uh, many years ago, I think it was 2005 or 2006, at the old Center Crest, you know what I gave him? The Gospel According to Jesus by John MacArthur. I gave him the inspired and errant version where I highlighted all the good stuff. It was pretty much highlight, highlighted all the way through it. And as he and I have occasionally interacted, 
I, I think he, he, he understands the concept because he, like me, was an unconverted church member who thought they were saved, but they weren't. And that kind of thing drives, drives you. If that is your experience, then, then who else is like me? I've told you, as I, as I surveyed the church over my, my formative years, I, I, I'm like, powerful gospel, powerful grace of God? Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? And so, Jesus asked this question, and He asked it of all of us. Why do you say that you're a Christian and you have no interest in the things that are my priorities? You have no interest in me. You have no interest in, in, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, of, of, of your life being devoted to Him much less that which he commands. No interest in being countercultural, radical, of seeing the world from a totally different perspective than the world sees itself. Jesus goes on in Matthew's accounts, and many will come to me on that day saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of this religious stuff in your name? Jesus says, depart from me. You evildoers, you workers of iniquity. I, I never knew you. I never knew you. And I, and I tried to warn you. I've tried to warn you over and over and over again the necessity of a fruitful life, the, the necessity of being a wise builder. Now, y'all knew good and well. i got to talk about Daddy a little bit here. you know. But he was a wise builder. He was an expensive builder. Again, I've told you before, I mean, uh, well, Bryce, you were the highest guy. Well, of course I'm the highest guy. Well, we didn't use you because you're the highest guy. Well, they came back a few years later. They paid him to fix the mess that was left behind by other builders. But it is expensive to do it right. It costs money to dig deeply to find the appropriate place to establish a foundation. In Palestine, think about it. It's a desert, sandy, loose soil. And if you lay down uh, the foundation of a home on that sandy and loose soil, it is not going to endure. You've got to get down to that bedrock. And it, it takes effort to, to pull all of that uh, material out of the way to get down to the appropriate place that you can begin. And, and again, the, these supposed evangelists that, that, that want to talk about the easiness of the way of Jesus, they're lying. You've got to dig down to get. You've got to dig through the junk of your life to get down to Jesus who's there to be your Savior. He's there to be the, the ground rock, the, the, the bedrock of your life upon which you can build with certainty. Because notice the other builder. He doesn't dig down. He did it the cheap way. He did it the expedient way. And, and probably everybody, maybe they saw the wise builder and the foolish builder's houses, and they go, boy, those are really nice homes. Oh, they both did a great job. But here's the thing. The storm came. And let me, folks, hear me. If you don't hear anything else today, the storm is coming. The storm is coming. I saw something this week in regards to uh, cultural or casual Christianity. And, and, folks, let me tell you something. That's, that's going to be stripped away. It's going to be costly to follow Jesus in the days ahead. 
whether it's the, the personal storm of, of a health crisis in your own life, an economic crisis in your own life, a re- relational tr- trouble in your life, own life. Folks, the storm is coming. Maybe many of you say, hey, it's here. That might be what you would say, it's here. Is your life built on the solid rock? And I, let me tell you something. If it is not, It is a gracious thing from the hand of Almighty God if the storm comes and your life collapses in the here and now. To look at your life, to look at its lack of fruitfulness, and the reality that your house has collapsed is a testimony to what? I need to be a good tree. I need to be transformed from a bad tree to a good tree. I need to build my life on the foundation for which my house can endure. It's a gracious thing when God in His providence brings those circumstances that bring you down to the ultimate reality of who you are. The storms are going to come. Is your house going to stand? That's the question. And let me tell you something. The storms have come, storms have gone. And every house that's ever been built on the solid rock has endured. You remember us reading Habakkuk a little bit ago? Man, he he was perplexed. God, what in the world are you doing? Everything I love and everything I find familiar is going to collapse all around me. These wicked Babylonians are going to come and they're going to take us into exile. We're going to lose this precious homeland that you gave to us. And God says, listen, I'm going to do some things that you can't believe. If I explained them to you, you wouldn't believe me. You've got to live by faith. And as he comes to the end of his book, what do you say? Listen, although everything that I love and hold dear, that I place my value and my hope in, all, even though it all goes away, I will trust in the Lord. That's the rock-solid foundation. That's the life built, not on the shifting sands, but on him who is the solid rock. The storm is coming. The storm is coming. Will what you have built endure? Let's look at just a couple of final things as we really leave behind the Sermon on the Mount. I mentioned last week, I think, a fundamental tool for interpreting the Bible. You need to see it in terms of law and gospel. Everything that is commanded in the Bible, words of Jesus, Ten Commandments, the admonitions of the apostles, whatever it is. If it commands, it is a statement of God's will. So go do it or don't do it, as the case may be. It's a statement of God's will. It's a a revelation of God's character. But it is also that which is designed to show you your utter hopelessness apart from God. It is designed to drive you to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Him and in Him alone, find your rest, find your salvation. As I read this Sermon on the Mount and what what it demands of me, the attitudes it demands of me, like I said a minute ago, none of these have I kept. None of these have I perfected. None of them have I got down pat. What I need is a Savior who will forgive me for the reality that I have failed. And work in me so that I can see day by day a a greater sense of obedience, a greater heart for the things that God longs for me to desire. And I pursue 
those things. So you've got to make sure you get it right. Like I say, if you, if you want to work down this checklist from this sermon or any other sermon as a, a list of do's and don'ts, and you think, well, if I get 75%, a, a C, a good solid C will get me into heaven, you will split hell wide open one day. You will split hell, hell wide open. Again, what you need is a Savior who died and suffered the penalty for the fact that you have failed to obey the commands of Scripture. And He died and rose again so that His power would be displayed in you so that you can see the evidence that I know Him and whom I believed and I see a mighty working. I see the fruit. I see the fact that the storms have come and I have endured. I have been left standing. So, think about the Scriptures in the right category. Again, taking God's Word and and cultivating God's perspective. He, He sees that which is valuable, that which is ultimate, that which is eternal, eternal, different from the world. Do you have His perspective? How many times have we talked about the vanities that Solomon outlined? Are you... Is your ultimate hope in that which the Bible defines as vanity? Or are you laying up treasures above? Is your treasure, is your treasure the Lord Jesus Christ? Again, is He so working in you that you would be fruitful, that, that, that your life can be defined as that which Jesus called us to, that, that the life of self-denial, taking up the cross. The Christian life, again, is, is not a life in which God promises to lavish upon us temporal blessings. In fact, it is a life of affliction. The affliction may come as it, it, it really seems like may, may be coming our way from the culture, Okay, it may, prayerfully no, but it may, and it looks likely, coming our way. But you know what? For the Christian, we endure a self-imposed affliction of what? Self-denial. Self-denial. Folks, Lord, it is not about my self-indulgence. It is, it is, it is it's not about my, my gratification. It is not about my luxury. It is about God being manifest in my life that, that, that the world could see there is a God that can take a bad tree and make it a good tree who would produce good fruit. He, it is a God that takes a house that may not look like much, but He can put it on the solid foundation, and when the storms come, that house endures. That's the Jesus. That's the Jesus of the gospel. That's, that is what he has called us to. I remember I mentioned the gospel according to Jesus a, a moment ago. and In the very early opening pages of the book, MacArthur says that Jesus would have failed every evangelistic course in every evangelical seminary that he was aware of. Because... He didn't make it easy. 
He didn't make it simple. He weeded people out. If you're going to come to me, the road is tough. If you're going to come to me, life is not going to be easy. If you're going to come to me, it's not going to be self-assertion. It's going to be self-denial. Not self-fulfillment. It's sacrifice. Even joyful sacrifice, but sacrifice all the same. Check your building. What's it built on? Check your fruit. Check your fruit. Good tree, bad tree. Take a bite. Take a bite. And you will know. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, for the power of your truth, and God, for a work in us that does what it promises to do, namely transformed. You haven't perfected us and nobody has claimed that they are or that they will be until that day. What we hope for is that power that raised Jesus, that power that shall be on perfect display one day in heaven will begin to break into our lives even now. Lord, the world would see the fruitfulness of your people. Would see the solid foundation of that which you have built. For the sake of your name and for the good of our very own souls. Amen.